angels amongst us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy and peace and love and joy. Thank you for everything that you are. Everything. Thank you for your perfect work of the cross, Lord. Thank you for the atonement. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, your enthronement. Thank you that we are seated with you now in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, that you have written our name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for opening up all the hearts and minds of your dear children who are here today and those who will hear this message in other places and today or in other times to receive the pure manna from heaven, the word of God, which is able to save their souls. Help them to receive it into good ground, to let it take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm, I'm really blessed. Period. <laughs> in my secular work, even, rarely do I have to go into the office. <laughs> That, that's kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing. When you work from home mostly, you know, then when you can get in the habit of never stop working, you know. You get out of bed, start working, and then you find yourself burning the, the midnight oil, etc., etc. But yesterday was one of the few days of the year I had to actually go in, and they really needed me to to help them with some things. So I thought I'd... I said, well... You know, I really need my Saturdays, but I'll uh, I'll come and help. You know, and uh, we were there. I didn't get home till nine o'clock last night. You know, I'm not complaining, but I said, Lord, I hope you let me hear you pretty quick because I want to get some sleep. And so, about one thirty, I started heading that way, and about two o'clock, I laid down, but. That's not a big thing. I looked out the window. We, I came in right about 9, and Tabana was right behind me. We got in, and she went in there, and we started preparing some food, and the, the sky come loose, you know. I said, Lord, thank you. That's awesome. And then when she finally went up to bed, I just looked out the front window, and I just said, Lord, I, I, you know I don't mean anything when I, when I say ask you to hurry. You take your time. All you need, I'm yours. You know, while I was up there at the office yesterday, I had a, a video chat call, which, don't do that to me, I won't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was from my, my daughter, so I knew it was from my granddaughter. And sometimes she gets the phone and does it by herself. She's five now, so she's smarter than me. But she called and... And she was right there with Nolan, her little baby brother, and then my daughter was in the background, and she's like, Papa, Papa, and I'm sitting there with the management team at the office, you know, and we're trying to figure out some things and crunching all this stuff, and 
and I'm on video chat, and I'm like, oh, hey, Papa, G-O-D. I said, what did you say, baby? She said, I, I, I want to call and tell you that I learned how to spell God, and it's G-O-D. Oh, my. Oh, my. Wow, I'm so proud of you, baby. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that'll just... That'll just carry you another hundred miles right there. Such a blessing. She's the one who uh, she still she has she still has baby Jesus from the nativity scene from our yard under under her care, and she's she's declared that Mary being his mother is fake news, and she's his mama, and we got <laughs> so. We're going to figure this one out, but we're okay with it. Amen. (laughs) Woo! You know, folks, it's okay to be spiritually minded. In case you wonder. I have, uh... I have heard... I have sat in attendance in uh, congregations much larger than I've ever been blessed with to this point thousands sitting there listening to a minister with the doctor in theology and and one of the first things that come out of his mouth is that some people are so spiritual minded that they're no earthly good you ever heard that and I almost cussed it but I didn't but that's a dumb statement. That's just a dumb thing to say. I know what he means. I know what he means. But I don't think he would say that in God's presence without being corrected. Because God says, I'll keep him at peace whose mind is stayed upon me. Well, what's wrong with that? See, because that kind of thinking, what it so spiritually minded, you know, earthly good. That means you just sort of leave God at church to me, and, you, and I'm now I'm just being real. I got I got work to do. I got things to do. I got things to take care of. In other words, there's God, and then there's then I handle the rest. I see Him on Sunday. You know. You see the foolishness of that? I'm kind of killing a sacred cow here, so forgive me if I'm stepping on your toes. But (laughs) if I wanted to please everyone, I wouldn't be a leader of God's people. I'd sell ice cream. Amen. (laughs) This is a hard race to run, folks. It's a hard race to run. You can't stop and argue with all the hecklers in the stands. Can we make? Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In the NIV it says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. So what is it 
to live a life after the Spirit. Because we don't want to say in the Spirit, because you don't get in and out of the Spirit. You're born again, you're in the Spirit. Now, you can choose to walk after the Spirit or after the flesh. You know, just because you're born again, Satan, you can't, you can no longer say Satan made me do it. The devil made me do it. Because he's been cast out. Amen. Yes. So, nothing compelling you to sin anymore. But you certainly can with the best of them, can't you? You have a free will, and God will protect that all the way to hell if that's for your choice. So to live a life after the Spirit is just to keep your mind stayed on the Lord. You say, well, again, you know, I, well, I, got think, I can't think about God all day. I got things. You think about something all day. You can go to work and worry about something all day, can't you? Well, then why can't you think about the Word of God, the promises of God, the provision of God all day? Amen. Just keep your mind stayed on Him, His teachings, His Word, to be in agreement with all those things and to be led by His peace. Isn't the peace of God supposed to be the umpire in our hearts? Amen. I go to a car dealer and he tells me today only, I say, thank you very much. I was trying to whittle it down to just one or two and I just ruled you out. Amen. We don't, we're not led by the lies and deceptions of the enemy and the cares of the world. Amen. But we have to understand the new covenant of grace and peace. What's been provided by the grace of God in order to truly walk in the love and the peace of Jesus. Amen. Or oh me. Second Timothy, if you wouldn't mind, turn over to Second Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 8. And I just want to look at uh, uh, these passages of Scripture. This is what the Apostle Paul, this is, this is uh, some analogies that he gave us. And I think they're very helpful because my wife always says, Shut, paint me a picture, you know. Because after a while she just starts hearing wah, 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 you know. She was definitely born for this this age that we live in of, of four, 40 characters or less type deal, you know. It's, it's, and, you know, I just think, I used to think she just had a short attention span, but but now I realize that she and my daughter, they just, they just, they catch on a lot faster than I do. It's like, I, I, I get that. Come on. Come on. All right, I got that. Like, okay, I'm just a little duller. It takes me a while. That's why God had to beat me over the head with grace. I was born, number five is the number for grace. I was born five, five, sixty-five, the youngest of five. And when he started teaching me about grace everywhere I went, I stepped on a five-dollar bill. I was going to a legalist uh, 
group from the church home, and they wanted to have a Bible study on the book of Revelation. I was like, all right, that's all about grace. (laughs) To most folks, it ain't. Not religious folks. I was like, well, Lord, do I tell it like you taught me, or do do I just sit and listen? And then Tavon and I said, honey, I'm really, I don't know what, I was still brand new in faith. She goes, well, you just do what God tells you. And the Suburban pulls across in front of us at the light and has shoe polish painted in the window. Go, Will, number five. (laughs) Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son or daughter, he was talking to Timothy, but you need to take this personal, okay? Be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We were talking last week about getting stronger, weren't we? And I was associating that strength with faith. Still am. But I want to approach it today from grace. Because you can't separate the two. Most, you know what I mean by that? Well, Andrew uses a great analogy. It's like, any of you know your, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the element symbol, what is it, that chart, that thing. <laughs> What is it? Periodic chart. Periodic chart. NaCl2. All right. Na is sodium and then chloride, right? Now, those two things in the right enough, a high enough quantity will kill you by themselves. But combined together in the right balance, it makes common table salt. Sodium chloride, which you can't live without. Amen. That's how it is with grace and faith. Faith is the hand that reaches out and takes hold of the things provided by grace. If that hadn't been provided through the atonement on the cross, it's not grace. But most Christians aren't strong in grace. Most people don't even understand grace, if I'm totally honest. And they definitely don't associate grace with being strong, do they? They think of grace as being weak, as being passive, as being spineless. (laughs) Or, a totally... You know, they can be totally self-centered instead of God-centered. And then they might say grace is what allows us to live a life of disobedience to God. I heard somebody say one time at a place that God no longer allows them to meet for church services. I do the best I can and, and Jesus covers the rest. Well, anyone that thinks like that, you look pretty close at their life, you'll find out they're not doing the best they can at all. They're usually relying way more on that other side of things. 
I don't know if I'm making a point. The grace of God isn't something that allows us to be disobedient. Grace empowers us to live a life of obedience to God. Truth be known. Grace in its simplest terms is God's supernatural ability available to believers on an unearned, undeserved basis. And this is God's, what the Bible refers to in Greek as dunamis, power, which is the word from which we get dynamite. And it's anything but weak. Amen. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, are all people saved? No. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace is a teacher. You see that? Grace teaches us to live godly lives, not to live in lasciviousness and, and, and say Jesus covers the rest. <laughs> But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's true because Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. But not all men are saved. Why? For the same reason, sodium and chloride go together to make that table salt because they haven't mixed it with faith. Our real strength comes from completely trusting or putting faith in God's grace, not in our own strength, is my point. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. More of us Christians have failed because of trusting in our own strength than have failed because of sin. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Matter of fact, trust, trusting in self is the beginning of all sin. What happened with Adam and Eve? In the original sin. When, what happened? They stopped completely relying on God's goodness, on His Word, and they started to lean on their own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Jeremiah teaches us, It is not within man that walks to direct his own steps. What a great epiphany. The best day of your life when you hit your knees and say, Lord, I'm tired of doing this on my own. Yeah. 
Moses said, if you don't go with us, oh, we're not going. <laughs> not what he said when he was 40. He fouled things up pretty good there in Egypt, didn't he? Yeah. But 40 years on the back side of that desert, and I believe that Moses was... Ready to say, if I ever get a chance again, I'm going to do it God's way if it kills me. Don't you? Why do you think I think that? Because the first thing, one of the first things God told him, what you got, because he, when he started saying, I'm. I'm too weak, basically. He was looking still at his flesh, but he was going to do what God wanted. He was just trying to get it all figured out. He says, I can't. You know, I'm, you know, what am I going to do? And he said, what's in your hand? And basically, it was a stick. And he said, throw it down. And it did, and it became a snake, didn't it? What did God tell him to do? Pick it up. Well, there's more than one way to... You ever heard there's more than one way to skin a cat? That's not a cruel thing about felines, by the way. They're talking about catfish. <laughs> but there's more than one way to pick up a snake, too, isn't there? God told him, pick it up by the tail. That is not recommended, folks. <laughs> and first Moses ran but he stopped and he came back you know what he did he grabbed that snake by the tail I'm going to do it God's way I'd rather go out believing God than to live believing the devil And God was faithful, wasn't he? He did a lot of wonderful things with that stick. Wasn't the last time it became a snake either, was it? <laughs> Here's the deal. If you really want to be faithful and truly successful in your Christian walk, which... We all do. It's a rhetorical question. I'll take it as you knowing that since only one person raised their hand. <laughs> we have to learn to be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? The Bible tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of Jesus comes through the Word. This this. Right here is the Word. This is Jesus without eyeballs. This is the Logos. The written Word. The full revelation and will and ways of God. Amen. And with this and with the help of the Holy Spirit, He gives us from this, because you can't handle this all at once. You don't want that 
on your shoulders. That's God's job and you're not ready for it all. Thank you, Jesus. Sheep were never meant to carry packs on their back, were they? With the help of the Holy Spirit, though, we'll be reading and one of those scriptures we've been reading for 20 years just jumps off the page because this word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that becomes rhema, a spoken word, a now word, a instruction for the battle plan, direction and guidance to tell you how to proceed and to be victorious in this battle. Amen. Picture of this, the Old Testament. The Jews had a pet rock. Followed them around the desert. First one with a pet rock. That was Jesus. Water came from that rock. Holy Spirit. You see? Some of you get it. The third verse, back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Join with me, he says, in suffering like a good soldier. Appropriate that we're here in the VFW. A good soldier has a... Anyway, let me finish. Verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, he's using, just like Jesus did, he's using natural things to explain spiritual truths, isn't he? First, in in certain ways, we need to have the attitude of a soldier. A a good soldier, (laughs) that is. And a good soldier has a different attitude from a civilian. They have a commitment. They don't have to decide whether or not to obey a command. That's why they call them GIs. It's government issue. (laughs) Their lives are not their own. Amen. Now how can a soldier deal with this? Well, there's a few things. They need to believe in a cause. They need to love something more than themselves, don't they? Yeah. That allows them to put up with the hardships that they go through. And this is how we as Christians are described in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, they love not their lives unto death. In other words... They stood for the kingdom of God and for the truth of God's word and for an obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. That's why they stopped feeding them to the lions and burning them at the stake for fun in the Colosseum is because they were actually... They were doing it. They were singing to the Lord and praising God while they were being killed. And every time they went out there and did that, people were getting converted and saved. They were seeing their faith and 
It was catching on. <laughs> it's got to be real. They said, we got to stop this or everybody's going to start following this Jesus. Amen. They're going to bow the knee one day. We just pray it's on this side of the white throne. Amen. Good soldier, focus on the benefits rather than the cost. Thinking about getting back home to their loved ones there. Looking at doing good and eradicating the evil that they're fighting against. You know, I think of my grandfather and you know, I think of him in the holidays on Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think of him being over there in the, in Foxhole in the in Belgium and in the, the Battle of the Bulge, you know. And I thank God that he was there for me and for you, you know. Gotta look past the current problems and see the benefits. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says he endured the cross, endured the shame of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He saw past all that and he saw us in his future. Dad and I and the Holy Spirit, we have a plan. That's the determinate counsel of God. That's the board. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Wow. They had a plan, didn't they? And Jesus was there to fulfill that plan, and he was determined. Nothing was going to come in the way. A good soldier can't be too sensitive about their feelings. And this is where, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Randy, I know when you served, uh, it was like that. I don't know nowadays. I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm not, you know, hey, I still thank God for our military. I support them, but I don't know if it's a softer, kinder, gentler <laughs> military. I don't know. <laughs> Probably, depending on who's in charge in Washington. Amen. You know, I don't know. But the point, you get the point. Think of a, think of wartime and think of a, a soldier who's gone and enlisted, you know. A good soldier is what he called it in, in the scripture, in verse 3. If you put psychiatrists out on the battlefield... Psychologists out there, it'd make a mess of things, wouldn't it? Well, how do you feel about that when they shot at you? Do you love your enemy? It's not your fault. Come over here. We've got some kittens in this safe space for you. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. That, that was a little. That part was me, I think. Okay, God's not sarcastic like I am. I apologize. Where's my ladder? Okay. <laughs> they 
A good soldier has to recognize their hardships are only temporary too. But wouldn't you think that's important? So they don't lose hope, right? You have to see an end to it all. You have to you can't lose hope. They have to have a vision past what they're involved in at the time. And a Christian has to have an eternal perspective. This is the most, most, one of the most critical things in the life of a believer to keep you from getting depressed and discouraged. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in our resurrected life. Our hope is in knowing that this is not our home. We're only here as recruiters. <laughs> Ambassadors, the Bible calls it. We're not here. An ambassador doesn't go from one country to another and then just share his opinions and thoughts and ideas and ideology with that foreign nation, does he? No, he's there to represent another set of rules and laws and values that he's promised to represent properly. He's not supposed to go do things his own way. Anyway, I'm not saying there's not corruption. There's corruption in the world. There's corruption in the body of Christ. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Amen. Talking to a man this morning from our church who's having a domestic hardship very hard right now and I was trying to encourage him he ended up encouraging me <laughs> and he not that long in the Lord I was so excited I said wow that's awesome you stay right there brother God's got you that's the wisdom and the comfort of God working in your life already Paul uses a couple of other examples besides a soldier. He says in verse 5, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The athlete has discipline, doesn't he? He doesn't get weighed down with a bunch of stuff. He tries to, he's get, even his tennis shoes, he gets the lightest he can to, those little shorts are made out of some kind of flag material or something. They got to be, but they don't want anything that's not aerodynamic or weight hindering them. If it costs them a quarter second, it could cost them the race. Amen. I started that keto diet again recently. It worked for me really well in the past. So I guess in May, I'll need a birthday cake made out of. Bacon and brisket and uh, chicharrones. <laughs> Pork rinds. <laughs> Is that what you call them? <laughs> I got some really good ones from Costco the other day. Really good. 
Then he says, the hard-working farmer, in verse 6, he uses a farmer as another analogy. We've been talking, we talked about this last week. A lot, didn't we? <laughs> the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. The farmer has to have a little patience, doesn't he? You ever seen that movie, Faith Like Potatoes? It's a good movie, it's old, but it's a Christian movie. You can't go out and dig that seed up to see if it's growing, can you? If you want it to grow. I told you about the Chinese bamboo last week. It takes five years for Chinese bamboo to grow. For four years, it doesn't even break the surface. That farmer has to really be trusting and patient, doesn't he? But in the fifth year, it can grow 90 feet in five weeks. It's a picture of grace for you right there too, folks. But, you know, you could say, well, that thing didn't grow at all for four years. Yes, it did. It was providing the foundation and the roots and the stability and to, to be able to uphold all that upward growth. Same thing's happening here right now. Root system being developed. So we can handle that growth spurt that this third great awakening is going to bring upon us. Amen. In Jesus' name. So we need the patience of the farmer. He goes out. He realizes there's time to plant. And then there's there's seed, there's time, and then there's a harvest, you see. And that's what a lot of Christians forget, especially in our culture. We think if God hadn't manifested the answer to our prayer by the time we get up off our knees, then we have to handle it in our own strength. He just, because he turned us down. Or he just didn't do it our way in our time. And you can't microwave this, this relationship with the Lord. The soldier's commitment, the athlete's discipline, the farmer's patience. All essential in the Christian life. Verse 7, Paul says, reflect on what I'm saying. That's a good thing. You need to meditate on the truth of God's word. Meditate on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Now, that'll work for all scripture. All the promises and provision of God. Amen. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Here's the key. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead. Descended from David. This is my gospel. Which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. How encouraging that he was so encouraging in such a state of despair. He wasn't in despair, but I mean, it wasn't a good situation in which, from which he wrote a whole bunch of this New Testament. So it sort of come full circle. What, what God showed me is this. This is the, the insight. The very thing that enabled Paul 
to run the race so well and to stay focused and to to stay on course and to stay on track with his calling was his trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. His hope was in the Lord, not in the world. His faith in the good news, that is the gospel, made him strong in the grace of God. And this is what he was trying to teach and encourage Timothy in. And that strength in the grace of God in turn supplied all the commitment and discipline and patience he would ever need for this life and would bring him a crown of glory in the next. Oh, I know we're all just a melting pot of different denominational backgrounds, but y'all must mostly be Presbyterian. (laughs) Y'all miss a lot of good places to shout. I know I'm boring, but my goodness, this is exciting news. (laughs) That's all right. I leave here, I'm going to get in my ice cream truck and go have some fun. Twenty twenty two. What are you gonna do? Twenty twenty two. You know, you know that U two song Nothing Changes on New Year's Day. But twenty twenty two is gonna be a great year for those who put their faith and trust in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that? The book of Romans in verse chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's everybody. He was saying to those in covenant or had a previous covenant with God and those who were outside previously. He meant everybody. (laughs) For in it, the righteousness in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Just like I told y'all last week when we were had so much fun when Samantha told me that Harper had gotten mad at her and started crying because she told her that Mary was really Mary was mother Jesus' mother and she said, That's fake news, I'm his mother. And we had a good laugh, but then I texted him back, I said, She's right, you know. And I sent them the scripture where from Matthew chapter 12, where it says, while, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Since we're talking about soldiering in the kingdom of God, and I feel like y'all will allow me a few more minutes, I'm going to ask you to look in Matthew chapter 11. And verse 12. Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Hallelujah. This is a scripture that can sometimes take a while for people to understand. Because believe me, no bad guys, no, uh, no, uh, no boogeymen are taking, the, taking heaven by force. That's sort of what it sounds like. But let me... I always tell people that, you know, I, all, my, all my understanding and abilities and were in the ways... Of the world and in my own strength before I knew the Lord. And the only thing I knew about fighting was in a physical sense. And when I found out the truth, and they started telling me that it was the devil who had been lying to me and stealing from me and killing everything that I loved and everyone that I loved and harming them and destroying everything. I got mad and I said, Lord, I want to fight him. I want to, I want to be your soldier. I want to get that devil. He said, then you need to forget everything you think you know. Kenos, they call it in Greek, means to empty out. I had to learn a new type of warfare. Not like the old at all. I used the example recently of Joshua chapter 18, verse 3, where the Israelites had come into the promised land and they had pitched tent and put the ark in Shiloh. And it was there for a while. And most of the tribes went out and took possession of the land that God had given them. But some didn't. They were just chilling, hanging around Shiloh. Life was easy. They had entered into the promised land. Life was good. They were just taking their time about it. Plus, there were still enemies out there in the land that God had given them. And God asked Joshua, he said, How long are you going to let them put this off? And in 18.3, Joshua went and he told them, the people, 
How long will you put off going to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Past tense. It was theirs legally, but experientially, not yet. They still had to go fight for it. They had to go defeat the enemies of God, but God was with them. He had given them the land. He had been with them all the way from Egypt to, to, to the promised land. And he wasn't about to leave them or forsake them now. And it kind of ticked him off. <laughs> that they were thinking that way still. Remember, he had just let an entire generation die off in the wilderness because they saw the giants bigger as bigger than him. Amen. But Joshua and Caleb made it on in because they said the giants are big, but so are the grapes. And so is our God. We won't have any problems. And that's the way you need to think. First of all, you need to come to terms with what God has given you by grace. A lot of us were taught wrong. We think that God gave us sickness and divorce and poverty and things like that to teach us things. That's a lie. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Good God, bad devil. Amen. There was a woman that had the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. You know the story. She had spent all the money she had. What was it, 11 years she'd been in this con- 12 years, 12 years. Yep, that's right. 12 years. Uh, you know, that's a bad condition. We'll just leave it at that. This poor woman had to be frail and weak. Destitute now, broke. She'd spent all her money on doctors. She was trying to get some help. And she heard about Jesus. Now, in her culture, in those times... In her condition, just being in public, much less touching a rabbi, she would have been killed. She would have been in big trouble. They probably would have stoned her to death on the spot. It's crazy, but that was the law. But she made up her mind, if I get a chance, I can just touch the hem of his garment I will be healed. And she, in her little frail condition, that big crowd, she pressed through that crowd. She was determined. She was persistent. She was resolved in her mind and in her heart to lay hold of that which she was confident the Lord would provide if she would just touch the hem of his garment. And that faith inspired her because she had the vision of being healed. She had Christian hope, you see. 
That's what Christian hope is, is a confident expectation of good from God. Hope is what gives you, your faith, a target. And she had a bullseye on the hem of his garment. And she was going to get there if it hair lift the Pope. Wait, that's not right. She was going to get there no matter what. Praise God. And she did, didn't she? And she was healed. He didn't even pray for her, did he? What she revealed there, a spiritual law at work. There are laws that govern the kingdom of God, just like there are laws that govern this world. You know, just like electricity and gravity. They're good things. They can be very deadly. But we need to understand how they operate. You know, electricity, if Adam would have understood the laws of electricity, he could have made it work then. God didn't create that with Ben Franklin flying a kite. It was always there. The law always existed of how how that would operate. They just had to figure it out. You see? There are certain laws in the kingdom of God which we need to understand if we want to walk in the fullness of our inheritance in the kingdom of God. And part of it is we need to roll up our sleeves and understand we got a part to play and we need to be good soldiers. We need to be like the patient farmer. We need to be like the athlete who's disciplined and dedicated and We need to have resolve. And we need to believe in the promises and provision of God more than we believe in what the doctor in the world says. And it's not easy. But it is simple. It couldn't be more simple. The truth is the truth. But man, when you're the one in the fire, it's hard. Now look around you. That's why you have a huge family. It's called the body of Christ. When I used to watch football, I would say, man, why do you try to run it up the middle? Man, That guy was wide open. It's easy for me to see. (laughs) But down there in the midst of the fight with all these monsters trying to take your head off, it's a little more difficult. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback or someone sitting on the sidelines. But also, when I'm not in the fight, I have a cooler head and I have a better outlook on things. And... I can take my friend who's in the midst of it and have compassion, sympathize, empathize, and then say, now what's the Lord say? Let's, let's dig out the promises. Let's, let's find the treasure. This, 
it's to the glory of kings to search out a matter. God has called us kings and priests. He's hidden some things in here for us. Let's dig them up. Ah, Isaiah 53. Look at that. By Jesus' stripes, we're healed. Peter says it again right here. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. And there comes a time when you have to believe in God's goodness and God's willingness. Because you know God can do anything. But do you believe He will do it for you? Is the problem. And I'm telling you that God is no respecter of persons. If He did it for one, He'll do it for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus of Nazareth said, I went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the Lord. I was, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And He said, I only do did what I see my Father do. So, it's the will of God that you be healed. It's the will of God. Beloved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health. Okay? That's the will of God. Well, then, if it's God's will, then He can just do it. You're not listening. you got a part to play. Do you believe that God put gravity on this earth to protect you? He did. <laughs> Flying off into space. But that same thing, that, that law that, that He established to keep us all anchored here will kill us if we step off of a tall building. And it's not His fault. <laughs> at some point, you got to learn to get mad at the devil. That's what he's talking about here when he said the violent take it by force. Standing in faith requires a certain amount of violence. And it's not the type of violence that you know about from this world. It's not against people. It's in the spiritual realm. It's against the devil and his army. Who's a very, which is a very organized thing. We've talked about that before. God gave you anger. You know, when Jesus went into, a, he made a whip. <laughs> he made a whip out of cords and he went in. Not once, but twice and flipped over the tables and he was whipping these grown men with temple guards and Roman guards all standing around and they didn't do anything. Like, dang, God. Did he sin? No, he did not. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's like I say about, about that man that laid by the pool of Bethesda for, what, 38 years? I look at me, she'll say 39. <laughs> okay. 
Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Sometimes you've got to stand up on the inside before you can stand up on the outside, right? And that's what it takes. You have to realize that it is not God's will for you to be suppressed, oppressed, depressed. And when you realize it is the enemy of your soul and of everyone and everything you love that is doing that to you, you will get mad at the devil. Amen. We have to start working out those faith muscles. That's what I always talk about. I use it as uh, those examples that we are all born with a set of muscles. Pretty much the same set of muscles. But one guy has, you know, muscles up here on his shoulders and others have them down here. (laughs) Hidden underneath all this. But it's not that, oh, well, God did this for him and not for him. No, we have a part to play, don't we? We have to exercise those muscles. That's how it works. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. We have spiritual muscles and faith is a muscle. So he didn't give, Peter said, to those of you with like precious faith, same amount, same faith, same scooper. But some have strong faith, some have weak faith, and it's by exercising that faith that it becomes strong. Amen. You want to please God, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So please tell me what areas of your life you are believing and trusting and exercising your faith in. Because I'll believe with you. Hallelujah. I call on ministers from El Paso to Orange for this south half of Texas for Army because I'm the regional advocate for Andrew Womack's Ministers Association. I tell you that all the time because I want you to know about them and it because it's a good thing. Not because I'm anything, because I'm not. Not without the Lord, but I'm never without the Lord. Amen. Amen. And when I talk to those preachers, I try to do the same thing I do with you. I try to remind them of who they are in God, remind them what God has called them to do, inspire them in that calling, encourage them, pray and believe with them and agree with them, and get them excited again. Because it's so easy to start putting more faith in what the devil can do than what God can do. But you can make your mind up to switch it back just like that. You want to you want to build your faith muscle just just practice trusting and confessing the promises of God over your life. Just start right there. That's it.
Oh, that'll take too long. All right, then. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord. Thank you for... Thank you for faith. Thank you for that mustard seed of faith, Lord. Thank you for helping us to exercise that faith until we get so full of the truth we can't stand the lie anymore. And we get our hopes up. And we begin to see the wonderful things that you have in store for us. The total health and wealth and blessings and provision that you have for us. And to help us be good stewards of everything you put in our care. Whether it's our time, our money, our health, our influence. So that when we see you, we can look forward to hearing that well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for teaching us and growing us up in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the help, the healing everywhere we hurt, the empowerment through your precious promises, the love that you have poured out upon us, and the prosperity that you have for us in every area of our lives. And thank you, Lord, that we will grow up in this, and with that same help that we receive from you, we will go out and lavish others with this same help we have received in a sick and dying and hurting world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us so perfectly. In Jesus' name, amen.